0: Welcome, Investigator. Evil is on the rise. Crime is escalating. Our mission is to eliminate the crime by exposing evil, examine why it manifests,
1: and highlight the brave souls that confront it every day. Join us as we work together to bring justice to every victim. Welcome to All Things Crime. Here's your host, Jared Bradley. Hey, everybody. It's Jared. Welcome back to another episode of All Things Crime. Coming to you from Utah and have a special guest today. Alfred Anderson. He's a former deputy. He's also uh, owned a number of businesses and he's also an author. And so met him and through a couple of different acquaintances. And yeah, I think it's, it's going to be a, a really interesting discussion today. So I wanted to welcome you in. Also wanted to encourage you, if you were, haven't subscribed yet, to please subscribe to the channel, both YouTube, Rumble, and also wherever you listen to your podcast. So, Alfred, welcome. And I understand you are in
0: Costa Rica right now. What is that all about? Well, thank you for having me, Jared. Costa Rica is all about paradise. It's um, <laughs> getting out of winter. That's the main thing for me. Yeah. My wife is uh, Costa Rican. She's also okay. um, a dual citizen. So we spend half the day, uh, year here and the rest up in northeast Washington.
1: Yeah, well, like we were discussing earlier, we got hammered with like six inches of snow last night here in, in the north, northwest. So I'm sure your other home is buried in snow right now. So you are definitely in the right place. I empathize with
0: you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, you don't. You're no. down there in uh, Costa Rica just enjoying the sunshine. It's just, yeah. not, even, it's just not even fair.
0: Well, it's been 20 years we've been doing it and I retired about 8 years ago and I just was bound to determined to not shovel snow anymore. <laughs> if you know what I mean. I was born and raised in Minnesota. Yeah. Some of the toughest winters, you know, anywhere in the lower 48. So, I know it well, especially cold weather and Yeah. When I hit 40, I said I had had enough. Got out of there. <laughs> so,
1: well, I can definitely tell the, the Minnesota accent, so Oh, okay. Minnesota.
0: Minnesota I love it. Hey, yeah. Out and about. <laughs>
1: yeah, you and Canada, man. You guys got a lot lot more in common than, than the southern folks definitely.
0: I lived in England for four years and they all thought I was Canadian. Oh, for sure. <laughs> it was an advantage.
1: All right. Well, hey, let's get into you know why why we want wanted to have you on the show here. First of all, you 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 have to give us a little context as to what your career path was, because you know most people, especially that want to go into law enforcement, they they they've wanted to go into law enforcement for you know ever since they were little kids, and but it it doesn't seem like that was the way that you entered into into law enforcement. So explain to us kind of what you did.
0: Okay. When I was going to school over in England, I was in a security guard. So I kind of had a prequel to, you know, the desire to get into something like that. But it never occurred to me until I hit the age of 40. And I had semi-retired from businesses I owned. Um, Various events in Key Largo, Florida, where I lived for a while, kind of cemented that desire and they were somewhat violent criminal activities that occurred at the location I worked, which was Narby's, believe it or not. Hmm. Anyway, so after that, I decided I took the LSAT, which is the Law Law Scholastic Aptitude Test. Did all right, but it was too late in the year to really go to the University of Wyoming where I was living at the time. So I decided, hmm, Maybe I'd be better, more apt to be a law enforcement officer, so which I did. I went to school at the College of Southern Idaho for a year, became certified, got a degree, and was later employed uh, with the Valley County Sheriff. I was a deputy, and probably it was the best career of my life because it was so eye-opening. And I wrote the book because so many people would tell me after relating anecdotal stories, you need to write a book. So I said, and I've never been a great writer of anything. So I sat down uh, and wrote the first three chapters of this book called Deputy Know Your Rights. And I died. It just died. So down here a year ago, about this time last year, I have a friend down here who published a book himself, and he said, you need to finish that book. So I did. I finished it. It, And the whole purpose of it was to educate the public on their lack of knowledge of their rights. It's shocking how ignorant and how abysmally educated people are as far as their constitutional rights. And I speak more from the aspect of the Fourth, the Fifth, and the Second Amendments, because we as law enforcement officers, those first two, the Fourth and Fifth, is what we're interacting with the public on that basis. In other words, the fourth is the right to remain secure in your persons, houses, paper, and effects shall not be violated except upon probable cause okay so what does that mean and this is very important because i can't stop a car or any person on the street without probable cause and what does that mean it means i have i have to have evidence that a crime has been committed or about to be committed now in the case of a traffic stop it means a violation of traffic code okay a light out speed Anything, and that gives me the right to stop that vehicle. But the problem is when I approach that vehicle, people need to just not say anything. They need to shut up. Now, does that mean be unkind, discourteous, disrespectful? No. If I say, Are you having a good day? you know be be friendly and answer. But if I start asking you how fast were you going? or have you had anything to drink, or do you have anything in your car that I should be aware of, you just simply say, Officer, I prefer not to answer any of those questions, which is your right, one's right, under the Fifth Amendment. It's called pleading the Fifth as we all know it, but it's the right to remain silent. And as per the Miranda Act, it was encoded that once we made a detention, an arrest, we had to recite the Miranda Act to advise that person of their rights. But as soon as you answer a question, and I'm recording, in video, video recording, everything, it's all in evidence. If you admit to going just one mile over the speed limit, you've incriminated yourself. And don't do it. Don't say I had just one beer, no, that opens the can of worms. Hmm. Just say, officer, I prefer not to answer those questions.
1: So let me so, play devil's advocate with you here. Okay. I would say, based on my experience, what I've... I mean, I mean, I've never personally been arrested, but when I have been pulled over and, you know, well, first of all, I think it's human nature for people to answer questions, so... It, it totally makes sense that most people would immediately incriminate themselves, especially if they haven't ever read your book. So, but if, if that were to happen, like say an officer is, is, you know, just pulling somebody over and it's, there's, there's nothing else that like what you were saying, they don't suspect another crime has happened that, that this person that they pulled over is, they might be involved in. So it's, it's just simply a traffic stop. They, they have a rear tail light that's out. Okay. You say when, when the officer goes up and says, Hey, do you know why I pulled you over? And according to what you just said, you should say, officer, I'm not going to answer your question. Well, from there to me, based on everything that I've, that I've seen in the past, the officer would escalate it to, well, if you don't answer my questions, I'm going to take you in basically, or, or, or something like that what so if it's just a traffic stop and the officer doesn't have anything that they're you know we'll we'll divide these into two scenarios so if the if it's just a simple traffic stop uh and the person won't answer or doesn't want to answer any questions and says officer i i don't i don't feel i i need to answer those questions then what happens
0: basically in all traffic stops according to all state laws encoded a person does not have a right to drive it's a privilege granted by the state but also according to most laws all you have to produce are three documents your driver's license proof of insurance and registration that's all you don't have to answer any questions and if an officer threatens to arrest you for not answering his questions That's a violation of your civil rights, and you have a possibility of a lawsuit against that officer. Now, again, I emphasize... Just the
1: threat? So you're saying just the threat of escalating it is a
0: violation of your rights? It can be construed as that, because he's threatening or almost being an assault on you as far as trying to negate your right to remain silent. And that's common. One can see through the YouTube videos that I've looked at numerous times of officers confronting a guy that's recording it or a woman, and they just simply say, we're not going to answer your questions, and they might make threats. But then if they did arrest without probable cause that a crime was committed or about to be committed, they've made an illegal arrest. (laughs) There's a lawsuit coming. And there are people that have won thousands of dollars against first the officer, then it goes to the agency, and then the governmental agency that controls that law enforcement agency. It goes right up the ladder. So as it was, for instance, a famous case, we all know about the Rodney King case in Los Angeles years ago where these four cops beat the hell out of Rodney King, and they were found not guilty of any crime in the state courts. However, the federal government took those officers to court on violation of civil rights charges. Two of them were found guilty and spent time in jail. Hmm.
1: So when when you went through the academy... Uh, and discuss this as, as you were training to be a deputy, as well as the schooling that you did, how much do they focus on, on your, you know, the exact same thing that we're talking about, the fourth and fifth amendment specifically, how much do they beat that into the heads of, of the deputies to say, look, you know, if somebody says this, this is, it's, you, you've got to be going through those scenarios as far as the training multiple times, right?
0: Oh, Absolutely. And I highlight that in the book as far as learning law, the chapter called Learning Law, where we learned. And I've had people ask me, well, did you know these rights before you started? And I admit, I was as ignorant as the next person. I didn't know them. But it was the powerful training of constitutional law first, of course, ethics, number of different subjects we covered as far as how to treat the public, and how to stay out of trouble for our lawsuits, it was very important. Now, we went through other training, firearms training, tactical training, and so on and so forth. But probably it was the most important phase of our learning, understanding the law. Yeah. And we don't have the time as deputies or officers out there like an attorney does. He can sit at his desk and peruse the law and you know, the laws are all broken up into elements. And if you have to satisfy each element of that law before an arrest can be made, well, we're out there and we gotta make decisions in minutes. We have to know that law well. Unfortunately, we're seeing too much abuse <clears throat> on the part of the police today. And I I shudder to think of the results, and more and more people are getting sued because of bad policing. Thanks
1: for joining us. Your attention today brings us one step closer to exposing and eliminating the evil that brings crime to our communities.